0: Shabbat shalom, everyone. It's really good to be back. We're dipping our uh, toes in the water uh, very slowly and carefully. All of our safety and health protocols are by the book, even more rigorous than state and city guidelines. And all who join us personally, either for Kabbalat Shabbat or the Bnei Mitzvah that are starting next weekend or the High Holy Days, make sure to follow the protocols. I see everybody here is following the protocols. For you who are uh, streaming us online and you think you want to uh, try it out, follow the protocols. Pre-register, we have limited capacity, wear masks, and you know, no need to bellow out the prayers. I'm actually surprised that I uh, say that because, you know, we've worked hard over these many years to encourage you to chant and sing loudly. But, you know, I've come to realize that God also understands quieter and even nonverbal prayers. All congregants who don't feel comfortable in the sanctuary, if you're streaming us online, I urge you to. Follow your instincts. We will continue to provide and even enhance our virtual outreach to you. But we felt from the beginning that when state and city authorities managed to lower community spread and offer guidelines on how to reopen, we would try to reopen for two reasons. First, personally, I think we will be living with this coronavirus for at least until the next summer, that is at least our entire program year. And therefore, we have to learn to adapt and to live as safely as possible while living in this new reality for as long as it takes. And second, many of our families want and need what we can provide only in person. Dozens of students need to be bar bat mitzvahed this year. Many of our congregants are weighed down by the emotional distress of sheltering in place for months. And for them, worship in squares on a screen doesn't entirely relieve their distress, nor does it provide the spiritual uplift that they need in these times. We'll get through this period. It will not last forever. And in the meantime, act responsibly and do what is best for you. It's appropriate that our first Shabbat of going back out into the sanctuary is the week that we read the Torah portion of Ki which means going back out. The name of the Parsha is taken from the first verse, which speaks of going out. To war, When you go out to war against your enemy, isn't that what so many Americans feel today? That when they go out on the streets, they're almost going into a spirit of warfare? Like a war zone? That there are people that they trust, that look like them, think like them, act like them, and then there's everyone else. And they're at war with everyone else. Everyone else is an enemy. The anger, rage, intolerance, violence in our country seems worse today than many of us can ever remember. And perhaps because Ki-Tetse begins with going out to war, much of the rest of the Parsha is about striving for peace, social order, compassion decency. In the end, while violence might be sanctioned by the Torah in certain very exceptional rare circumstances, Judaism does not promote or encourage violence. It seeks peace. There is one passage in this week's Torah portion that I've always loved. It goes like this. If along the road you come across a bird's nest and the mother is sitting on the young or on the eggs, do not take the mother with the young. Let the mother go and only then take the young. Why? What is the point of this law? After all, Judaism generally does not prohibit consumption of animals or fowl, except like birds of prey, specifically deemed unkosher. For all the rest, eggs, fledglings, chicks, mature birds, they are all permitted to us. So if we are entitled to take a mother, and if we are entitled to take her eggs, why are we prohibited from taking them together at the same time? Why not just grab the whole nest and take it home for a feast, Friday night dinner, chicken dinner with eggs? Why not just take the eggs and give no regard to the mother? Why not just take the mother and ignore the fledglings or the eggs? Why take only the young? And only after you have scattered the mother. Maimonides' Rambam suggests three responses. First, because. Why scatter the mother before you take the young? Because the Torah says so. God must have had a reason. But even if that reason is beyond our comprehension, you still have to follow God's laws. These are commandments, not suggestions. How compelling would it be if we were to have called them the ten suggestions? But the problem with this explanation is that human beings want answers. We want to know the reason for laws. We are not automatons and over time we will ignore laws that make no sense to us. Even our own children eventually will cease listening to us when we tell them behave and they ask why and we say because I told you. And therefore Maimonides gives a second reason. In order to spare the mother bird suffering emotional pain. Now this is an explanation that is pleasing to modern sensibilities. Animal welfare, a concept that Judaism knows well — we call it tzar ba'alei chayim — has become a standard expectation, especially in the West. If we were to take the eggs or the fledglings in the presence of the mother, Maimonides suggests that it would cause her emotional distress. She would feel the pain. Some contemporary experts assert that there are animals who feel emotions recognizable to human beings, and that the mother- offspring relationship in nature is unique and it cuts across species. But the problem with this explanation is that we are permitted to kill animals. Even if animals do feel emotions, we have still taken the young. Is the mother's emotional pain lessened because she did not witness that the hunger took her eggs? When she returns to an empty nest, is her pain diminished because she hasn't actually witnessed the deed? Maybe. Still, we have taken her young. If, in fact, she feels distress, the fact that she did not see us taking the young would not eliminate her distress. And therefore, Maimonides offers a third reason. The law has nothing to do with the feelings of the mother bird and has everything to do with our own feelings. Even if animals do not feel as we do, we should feel the cruelty of taking the young in the presence of their mother. It's not necessarily that the mother bird has emotions we would recognize as human. But we are human, and if we practice cruelty to animals, Even if the animal does not experience cruelty as a human would, still we are being cruel. And we feel it. And modern science validates this ancient wisdom. Often cruelty to human beings begins with cruelty to animals. There is a direct connection between people who torture animals and people who torture people. Gratuitous cruelty to a bird often leads to gratuitous cruelty to a person. It's far less likely that one who wouldn't harm a fly would harm a man or a woman. Mark Twain wrote about this in a book called Tom Sawyer Abroad. Huck thinks to himself, I see a bird sitting on a dead limb of a high tree, singing, with its head tilted back and its mouth open. And before I thought, I fired. And his song stopped. And he fell straight down from the limb, all limp, like a rag. And I run up, and I picked him up, and he was dead. And his body was warm in my hand, And his head rolled about this way and that like his neck was broke. I couldn't see nothing more for the tears. And I ain't never murdered no creature since that weren't doing no, me no harm. And I ain't going to. Huck Finn feels morally sullied by killing the bird. He swears that he will never harm any creature that wasn't doing him harm. He recognizes that cruelty is cruelty. Whether it is cruelty to animals or cruelty to humans, they are in some way connected across the species. Nachmanides' Ramban writes, The ruling on the mother bird is not based on the Almighty's pity for the animal. Otherwise, God would have forbidden their slaughter. The reason is to teach compassion and the avoidance of cruelty. These are decrees that are intended to inculcate humanity in us, in human beings. The intent of our Torah portion is to emphasize that even if under rare and exceptional circumstances violence is permitted, even if war is allowed, we do not strive for violence. The opposite – we strive to eliminate violence. Even the laws of warfare specify limitations. You cannot do anything you want, even in war. When you start going out now, kiteite, say, when you go out to work, to school, to synagogue, remember to be kind, have compassion for others. For those who might have had it even worse than you have during these long, hard, cruel months. Mark Twain warned against those who he described as possessing the look of a man who can endure pain in another person. And if these months have been kinder to you than to others, if you have not lost your job, have not lost income, have not fallen ill, have not mourned a loved one. Stay compassionate. Even if you have not experienced violence, hatred, racism, try to understand the pain of others. Do not confuse your good fortune with merit, it may simply have been that you have been lucky. Victor Hugo wrote, Success often deceives us because it resembles merit. Winners of the lottery are revered. We confuse fortune with greatness. The brilliance of the stars is confused with the star-shaped footprints of a duck in the mud. There is always more misery in the depths than compassion in the heights. Amen.